Well, it definitely is good to uh, be back here and to have a chance to share um, what God has laid on my heart uh, as I've been studying over this series that we um, started last week. A brand new life. A brand new life. So I thank you, Pastor Lane, for uh, the talk that you shared last week. I wasn't able to be here uh, physically because uh, my son Josiah was not feeling well, so I ended up staying home with him. Um, but I did pull it up online and I listened to it. It was fantastic, really, really nice work. And uh, I, I really like the way that the teaching ended last week. Basically ended with our identity will predict our action. Our identity predicts action. But I would like to start this morning in a little bit different way by inviting you to look at the person next to you. Just look at them. Gaze right deep in their eyes. Just look at them. Just don't be shy. Just, just gaze, okay? I, you Canadian can't even look in people's eyes for one second. What is wrong with you, huh? Just look at them in the eyes. Make it really awkward, okay? Just, I have a reason for that, okay? I have a reason for that. You're going to tell them something. I, even husband and wife can't look at each other in the eyes. Do you notice that? Just tell them. you weird. Just tell them that. Just, okay, um, let's say something else. Just say, you awkward. Did you know that you were, huh? You weird, you awkward. Hmm. I wonder what the reason is. I'm going to have to tell you, right? Is that <laughs> You'll find out in the sermon as it continues. You know, guys, we do live now in a world where more and more, we who identify ourselves with Christ, called us the Christian people, are more and more becoming marginalized, isolated, and treated as the awkward and weird bunch. You don't believe me, try to go to your workplace and profess that you are a Christian and see what happens. What is wrong with you? You are weird. You're awkward. What? You're different. Try to picture yourself worshiping God out in the public place. Your eyes shut, your hands up. Imagine what you look like to those who have no idea anything about you. You are weird. You're awkward. What a new identity for you this morning. Imagine your identity predicts your actions, right? You know, um, this portion of uh, scripture, Peter wrote to Asia Minor, the modern-day Turkey. And while Peter was writing this portion of scripture, they no doubt were facing the very same thing that is now. And even in a more vicious way. Christianity was not the popular or the cool thing to do at the time. Remember their main leader, 
Jesus Christ. Born started teaching this radical teaching, reshaping the status quo. And because of that, he received the most gruesome death, capital punishment of the time. They arrested him in an illegal time after hours, held a biased judgment, beat him, and at the end of the day, when they realized, like, okay, this man, there's no charge really against him, but they still decided to gamble his life by asking the crowd, who should we choose? This guy or the thief? And of course, the people chose to liberate the thief and kill this guy. Why? Until this day is the question still to be asked. Because he was the weird one. He was the awkward one. He did not match the status quo or what everybody else was like. And because of that, his sentence was to be nailed and hung on the cross of shame. That was their leader. So that punishment was to send a clear message that anyone else who would dare to follow in the track of this dude would by no doubt receive the same or worse as a punishment than this leader did. So we know through the scriptures, the night that Jesus was arrested, the disciples fled and they were scared. They all went and hid up in the upper room. We didn't really hear much more of them until 40 days later. They all were in hiding, but it didn't stop there. Something was uh, happened inside of them that it propelled them not to be afraid. Those who were timid started sharing God's word everywhere. They knew they were marginalized, but they couldn't stop what was bubbling inside of them because they had been exposed to an information that they themselves could not deny. You remember Peter? We talked about last week who was the gospel Peter, very afraid and timid and scared and cutting uh, uh, the ear of this guard who was arresting Jesus, was that very same Peter later on who was speaking in front of crowds of thousands and said, yes, it was you who crucified him. He was innocent. And because of that, Peter received his fair share of also punishment as we read the stories. So, I think uh, this morning, it's, it's good to start with a, a tiny bit of comparison of the world we live in. And I think it'll paint the picture to help us to see what this group was like, how weird and awkward this group was feeling more and more. We live now in a culture, or pretty much it has been throughout generation, Here's the way the world lives. As long as I do not hurt anybody else, it's okay, no matter what it is that I do. If the end is positive, then the method is right. Who cares? You know, as I review the statistic uh, this week, 
Uh, here's one thing that I found in the Ipsos Read poll. It reported that this year, 85% of Canadians believe that the Bible is the Word of God. 85%. That's a big number. But it also says that only 55% believe that the Bible has the authority of absolute right or wrong. That's pretty interesting. That means most people were just like, hey, you know what? When it comes to my life, throw this under the table. Let me just be. I am the author of my own self. I don't need no hierarchy. I can do it on my own. I am my own person. And being in North America, the culture is not only shifting to being individualistic, I am my own boss, is also shifted to what satisfies me right now is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I die. The more that I can accumulate, the better in a very short period of time. That's all it is about. Nothing else matters. Who cares? So um, we go for more, more, more of everything except for cavities, of course. Um, unless you're a dentist, more cavities, the better. But anyway, it seems like that's the shape culture takes. But I think you and I are very fortunate. We live in a culture where our churches are used as landmarks. We beautify them. We have uh, the opportunity to advertise them without fear. We broadcast our talks to the public square, anywhere. We have radio stations, TV stations, TV evangelists. Goodness, we even have, through the government, the ability to issue tax returns to the donors. We're not being persecuted, do you think? Although, from time to time, you feel like you're the marginalized group. And guys, from time to time, I feel like we take that freedom for granted. But in the early church, at the beginning, the more intense the persecution actually became, it's the more that the population grew in their belief of this awkward guy named Jesus. The more they started feeling like, okay, this message is gripping my heart, this guy is willing to give his life for me, for my sins, for the wrongs that I've done. The more that the crowd grew, people were turning from their paganistic way of life, responding to this invitation that Christ has extended to them. You know, I said all this as a very lengthy introduction, just so that I could paint a picture to drill the point home to say that being a Christian was not part of the cool crowd. So back then, if you wanted to be killed, it was easy. Walk out and say, hey, guess what? I'm a Christian. Boom, you're done. Unfortunately, it's still that way in a lot of countries around the world, like go to some places in India, Turkey, in China. Christians have to meet as underground church in hiding. You can't publicly profess or you're out. Not only that their lives physically 
were changed because of who they chose to identify themselves with, but also their social lives were also altered and shaken. First slide will show you 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Here's the reason everything started changing. Um, the scripture that they were reading, these letters that they were reading from Peter, that's the instruction actually it told them. Um, if we have the next slide. Um, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, a new has come. So immediately they realized, like, we are not the same anymore. We, we, we don't act the same way. We don't talk the same way. We don't do what we used to do. Everything changes. They now belong to a new family, and therefore, a new family comes with a new standard. And that new standard is what they had to abide by. In the next verse, uh, Romans uh, 12, 2 says, like, don't copy the behavior in the next slide. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. I mean, this is the radical training and teaching these people were absorbing. So you can imagine, like, everything about them was changing. What used to be normal now is no longer normal. And because of this new family standard, no doubt, their friends, I can imagine, would start noticing that their behaviors started to shift and change. You guys are acting a little strange now. What is going on? You were comfortable the other day. What do you mean you can't do that anymore? You used to be comfortable with this style of life and that style of life. Why are you acting so weird? No doubt that they'd be called. Their standard of life had changed. So these new Christians reading this letter for the very first time, and you have to understand, it's not like you and I have all this extra context from Genesis to Revelation, that we have to back it up and connect it all together. But no, these people actually received this letter as new believers. This one letter from Peter they're reading. That's what they had to hold on. And Peter is encouraging them and saying, like, guys, yes, I do understand. You are an alien group living in your country. You are marginalized. You are outcast. You are isolated. More and more because of who you chose to identify yourself So that's what Peter called them. You're strangers. That's who you are. You're strangers. That's why you can't feel right at home. You're strangers. This world is really not your home. You're ambassadors representing. And while you're representing, this is not your home. That's why things can be a little odd at times. But you know, the danger was on both sides. Not only they were being pushed out by society because they were different, but also within themselves, something was also happening. Since now I'm being pushed away from society, now they were becoming comfortable as we are in here connecting to only one another. But the danger that arise is that now they became comfortable to only meet with their little cozy safety net Christian groups. We like each other. 
We talk the same way, we act the same way, we know the standards back and forth and back and forth, and little by little, we voluntarily isolated ourselves from the greater community. And that was equally dangerous. In the study of physics, Aristotle actually puts it this way, nature abhors a vacuum. Remember that? And he based the conclusion on the observation that nature requires every space to be filled with something, even if something is colorless or odorless air. Something will fill the void. And I say this to say that, that if you and I allow the awkwardness to isolate us away from, guess what's going to fill the void? Einstein, in the next slide, writes it this way, you know? In the absence of light, darkness prevails. In the absence of truth, lies prevails. In the absence of love, you don't have to hate. Hate just prevails automatically. In the absence of good, evil will prevail. So if you, because of feeling weird and awkward, you choose to run away, the space we once occupied will be filled by something else whether you want it or not. I think there's a powerful description in Matthew chapter 5. Um, the next slide will show you what Jesus himself taught his disciples. And Peter is trying to do the same thing, telling the people, this is who you are. Number one, he says, you are salt of the earth, you are light of the earth. You can't allow yourself to be removed, no matter how weird and awkward it feels. You still have to be you. Yes, you're not welcome, accepted, or whatsoever, but you still have to be you, no matter how uncomfortable it is. But that's the radical teaching that's pushing them away at the same time. You can understand, it's just like you're caught between a rock and a hard place. He says, like, hey, you have been heard, it was said, long, long, long ago. You shall not murder? Well, let me tell you something. If you, using the bad skill of anger against your brother, you will be under the subject of judgment as well. Same punishment. You've heard that they said long time ago, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, it's not about like committing that's the problem. I mean, these are the teaching that was pushing them isolated. That they were feeling like, this is so odd. Now my friends will not accept this thing from me. I tell you the truth. Even if you look lustfully after somebody else, you've already committed this adultery. Or you heard that you could just write a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her a victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits also adultery. Now this is the kind of a, a radical teaching that was just pushing them away. The world couldn't accept this. this is, we're not going to take this from you. Again, you have heard that it was said long ago, do not break your oath, but I tell you, don't even make and You've heard it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That is the common way of the world. You punch me, I'll punch you back. Try it, I'll still see. But hey, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I tell you, no, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You can imagine like how these strange groups 
This new identity was forcing them to swim upstream, not with the flow anymore. That's where you and I are right now. So Peter, in this letter, is setting these new Christians for what I call a successful life. Not a life of becoming just like lukewarm with the world and just like, okay, whatever goes, goes. I'll keep my, myself hush-hush um, uh, so nobody knows who I am. Just no, still live what is out in you, but don't be afraid of what's out there. So Peter is setting them up for success. Because Peter knew the world will intimidate them. The world will make them feel out of place. So in this portion of scripture that was read this morning, Peter actually goes and in and, and his first letter, he's, he's basically letting him, he's summarizing the whole Bible from the Old Testament to the New. And there are four commands that actually he mentioned from verse 13 to verse 25 of 1 Peter chapter 1. He tells them, number one, set your hope on the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's a command that he gave them. That's just he pulling from Jesus' own teaching. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. Second, he, he goes way back now in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus. He says, hey, be holy as I am holy. That's the second commandment he pushed toward them. This is the standard that God is expecting from you. Be just like him. Like his nature. Holy, without blemish. He goes into Proverbs, he says like, hey, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He says like, fear the Lord. It's the third command he gave him. And the last one, this simple section, he gave him a command. He says, hey, love one another with all your heart. These four things summarizes basically the entire scope of the Bible to them. And then I ask the question, why? Why did Peter find it extremely important to set them on the path of success? And then I started searching. Here's what, guys, I found. Success, this tiny little word, is actually created into creation by every, what I would call a manufacturer. And this is going to be a nice, lengthy illustration just to paint a picture for you. You know, success... I find it's important to every manufacturer who makes a product. Most of you here, I'm sure if you'd pull in your pocket or your purse, you'd pull something like that, uh, a phone or an iPad. Um, you, you'd have something like that, right? Now that's, that's a product that came from a manufacturer. On this product, before the manufacturer decided for this product to get into my hand or to your hand, there's a lot of things that took place. First thing they did, they went into the laboratory, they tested this product to make sure this product works exactly the way they wanted it to work. After they realized that, okay, this is perfectly operating the way we want it to operate, you know what they did? There's a little apple here. They seal the stamp right on it to say this product carries our image. Before it ever got to your hand, the company tested the phone, 
and then they sealed it to say, this is us right here. But it didn't just arrive to your hand like this. When I received the phone, I remember after purchasing it, it arrived in a nice sealed box. But when I opened the box, I didn't see the phone first. You know what I saw? There was a book that was laying on top of the phone that hit the phone. The manufacturer actually wrote me a long letter in this book. They don't even know me. But they wrote me this nice long letter, well detailed, but just like you, I ignored it. This letter is called the manual. In the manual, actually, what it only means, it means the maker's mind on paper. One of these boring things. <laughs> you ever receive them? You ever read them? I don't. The maker's mind on paper. The maker's mind on paper, here's what he's saying. He's, he, he says, okay, now you open the box, now you receive this product with my seal on it. Please read me, he's asking. And read me completely all the way. Why? He says, because inside this little book, I reserve for you a lot of promises. Promises that to tell you this is how this product will operate. These are the benefits you'll get from this product right here. And after these promises, he also embellishes with a whole bunch of what we call laws. So, let's, let's go through the booklet together. The first thing we see, we see a photograph, okay? That's the photograph of the product. Um, photograph of the product. Then, next thing you know, um, we see the image that they sealed on the product. Mine says Apple, so Apple tells me, hey, you are operating and using our product. Um, then third, it goes into details to say, like, we have already tested this product. This product will satisfy you to the max. These are the things that we're promising you. It will do. These products would perform like this. And it gives you all the benefits. But now, by the time you open it and you make it to the third or so page, the promises sort of like stops and it moves to what we would call instructions. It says, my product, although you purchased it right now, although you're using it, don't forget it still is my product. This is how I want you to use my product. Do not. It says, operated near heat. Do not, it says, operated underwater. Well, no, I bought it. I can do whatever I want to do with my thing. Said, no, no, do not. That's my law for my product. And it says, obey these laws. Do not disobey them. And I guarantee you, this product will serve you well goes on and on and on. It's amazing when you read this little book that you guys have been ignoring. And the list goes on with all the do nots, do nots, do nots, do nots. Then finally you get to the very last two pages. You see something very strange 
First, it gives you a word that is called warranty or guarantee. The manufacturer actually says, I guarantee that this product will perform exactly the way that I promised to you in the first pages that it will. Then the warranty said, if you obey the laws of this book, then we guarantee that this product is under our warranty. Meaning we will personally protect this product if you obey the laws. It says, if there is any defect of this product, here's another law, do not attempt to fix it yourself. Do not open it yourself. It says, submit it only to the authorized dealers. Why? Because there's so many dealers out there, not all of them are authorized by the manufacturer. Like Buddha, Mohammed, so many others. The manufacturer is saying, no, no, no. You go directly to only one dealer whose name is Jesus Christ. The weird one again. That's what the manufacturer is doing. It's saying, and he's the booklet. You obey the laws. I only authorize certain dealers that can work on my product. He continues. It says, then if the product is defective, I want you to do. Put it back in the box. Seal the box. On our expense, send it back to us. We will repair it on our expense. We will ship it back to you at our expense. And if it cannot be fixed, we will replace it for you for free. Now, here's what really gets me. Why would they do all this stuff for me, Rico? What? They don't even know me. Why would they go to such great length just so that they could satisfy me that much? And then I realized it has nothing to do with me. They don't care about me. They care about this image that's right here. The image is why they say, I want to preserve and guarantee my image. Therefore, will guarantee you this product is successful to you. Hang in there, okay? They're not doing it for you. They're not doing it for me. They're doing it for their image. For their reputation is in trouble if this product does not operate or perform the way they had pledged it would. That's why from time to time you'll receive emails or letters for your vehicle recall. Massive recall! Cost them thousands and hundreds of millions of dollars that no, we'll repair it for free. Why? Because if it does not operate, our reputation is on the line. So Peter is doing the very same thing with these early Christians. And says, hey, I want you to succeed. Because why? There's an image that's on you. We look at the next verse. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. From the beginning, the manufacturer, God himself, looked at humanity and says, hey, let us make a product. 
in our own image. Seal the stamp on you. His image. So the word reputation is all across the Bible, except for it comes under the word namesake. So all throughout the Bible, God uses this very descriptive word, namesake, for my namesake, for my image. So you can imagine, no matter how isolated that early church people found themselves, they had to make it. Why? For God's name. So here's the thing, guys. Let me share a good news with you this week. According to the Bible, you cannot fail because his image is on you. No matter how isolated you become, no matter how weird and awkward you become, you must not fail. If you read throughout the Bible, there's one specific thing that I love reading, that, that we, the subjects, we, the product, we go in defective mode, we turn our back away from God over and over and over through the journey of the children of Israel up till today. Here's what we read. God would often say, even though you are stiff-necked, even though you murmur, even though you complain, although I feel like killing you, what he says, instead I will prosper you. I will restore you. I will heal you. I will redeem you for my name's sake. That's the assurance you have, no matter how isolated you feel. His name is on the line. So feel confident, feel bold, knowing that you're not the author of your own conclusion. He's watching out for you. His name is on the line. 